We want to pray. Let's let's pray. Lord, um, help us to receive attentively everything that you have to share with us today through your word. Um, we are thankful for children that are eager to be with one another and learning about you. And we are all your children as we as we turn to your word and we pray for that same eager spirit um, in our hearts and open open hearts, open minds to the voice of your spirit um, as we as we think about this Joshua story. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Take out your Bible and and, and turn to Joshua chapter five. Um, we're we're going through the Bible in a year and Last week, we looked at the Israelites right before they crossed over the Jordan River, journeying into the Promised Land. Today, uh, we're reading a story now that they're finally across the Jordan River, but still have yet to fully enter into the Promised Land. And um, the, the story of Jericho and the Israelites is it's a... a Perhaps the most familiar story from the book of Joshua, um, as Phil um, prepped in his prayer, we're going to look at one little detail about that encounter with Jericho that may not be as as well known in this encounter that Joshua has with the commander of the Lord's army. We're going to focus on that and look at um, one of the most important things that the story has to say about how we are to relate to God. So let's read verses 1 through 15. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all of the men who were military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place and... These were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place had been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, On the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, 
But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now I want you to imagine what this moment for the Israelites uh, would have been like. The, the, the beginning of the book of Joshua tells how the Israelites crossed the Jordan River in, in fairly miraculous fashion. It was flood stage uh, river conditions, one of the important details of the crossing story. And the Israelites, they're, they're like a million strong. They have all their possessions, uh, fairly portable, but they're, they're carrying their gear. They have some amount of livestock with them. How would they get all of the Israelites across this flood staged river with all their stuff and with all their animals? Well, it would have been impossible, right, without the, the, the miraculous hand of the Lord. God um, stops the waters of the Jordan River so that everyone can uh, cross. Um, just this amazing miracle that would have been fresh in the Israelites' minds. And now they're just a few miles um, from fully entering the Promised Land. Jericho is, the city is right there in front of them. And Jericho was known as one of the, the most fortified cities in the ancient world at this time. I mean, just towering walls above the city. And so even though the Israelites had just seen God miraculously stop the waters of the Jordan River for them all to cross, I imagine Jericho was an intimidating sight um, for the the Israelites. The wall just kind of taunting uh, the Israelites. How are you going to take this city? And Joshua may have been wondering that that very same thing. And so the end of the story that we just read has Joshua kind of going off by himself from the Israelites. He might have gone up, he might have approached Jericho just to scope things out, look at these walls, look for a weakness. God had not yet revealed the the attack plans. How are we going to do this? Joshua may have been uh, wondering. And this figure with this drawn sword appears. Now Joshua's, he's kind of a warrior at heart. He, the story is, deliberately tells us that Joshua walks right up to him and then says to him, so Joshua um, is, is bold enough, brave enough, goes up to this man with his drawn sword. And, and we do not know who this figure is yet, but in verse 15, um, the figure, who the figure is, is revealed to us. In verse 15, you may have heard these words and said, wait, I've heard these before. Verse 15 says that the, the man with a sword says, take off your sandals, Joshua, because you are on holy ground. Now, recognize those words. Where have we heard those words before? With Moses and the Lord. 
as the Lord appeared to Moses in the, the bush that was burning but was not consumed. And then Joshua worships this figure. I think, is this just some angel? Is this a garden variety angel that the Lord had sent? No. Because Joshua bows down, worships this figure, and the figure doesn't say, hey, get up, don't worship me. This figure receives the worship of Joshua. And so who is this figure? Well, this figure, the commander of the Lord's armies, is the Lord Christ himself. That's... That's a really good conclusion to who this figure is. Christ himself. And in this story, we find one of the most fundamental ways that we are to relate to Christ. And this is key. You know, one, one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from other world religions is that we, can, we have a God that, that, that we can know personally, that would personally know us, that we can walk with. That, um, that we can have this closeness, this intimacy with. But you still have to relate to God in the way that God chooses for us to relate to him. And he reveals it right here to Joshua. Joshua says to the man with a sword, all right, whose side are you on? Are you on those guys' side pointing to the inhabitants of Jericho, or are you on are you on my side? Are you on our side? And I want us to look at verse 14. The reply, the NIV has neither, the man says, but as commander of the Lord, Lord's army, or as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Right, so you see the word neither there, and, and actually. Uh, we can't understand it as that, but a more plain way to understand that word simply is no. I mean, that's, the, that's the most plain way to understand the word there. And that, that's kind of a great response because Joshua's question is not a yes or no question, is it? Whose side are you on, ours or theirs? No. Uh, what does that reveal? Just that simple response, no. You're asking the wrong question, Joshua. That's what it's revealing. No, 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 no. It's not about whose side am I on, the man with the sword says. The real question is whose side are you on, Joshua? And that's the question for us, right? Whose side are we on? Your important question, who is the commander of your life? This is the fundamental question for us to think through as we, as we relate to God. God says to relate to me fundamentally means I'm the commander of your life. God's the commander, not me. So I do, what I want to do is to look at three truths that this chapter gives to us on having God as your commander, the Lord as your commander, Christ as your commander. And the first thing that we see from this story is that having Christ as your commander means putting him first. Um, and we see this from the details of the beginning of chapter 5. Chapter 5 gives us a picture of the, the, the Israelites. You know, now they've crossed the, the, the river. They've got Jericho right there in front of them. They're, they're gearing up to take the, the land. 
and to attempt to take the city so that they could take the land. Um, what we read is that the inhabitants of the promised land are terrified of what they're hearing about these Israelites that are, that are coming through. Apparently their God is on their side. The city of Jericho has lost its courage. We find from the story of Rahab, the prostitute. If you've been reading along in the Bible story, you read about Rahab as she reports to the Israelite spies. Yeah, people are terrified here. The Israelites have the momentum. It's like God is speaking to the Israelites in this middle period between the river and taking Jericho. The Israelites are ready to take the city. God says, well, it's almost time for that. But there's something that you got to do first. Well, what's that, God? I mean, do we have to, to sharpen our swords a bit? Do we have to practice some military maneuvers? Did you hear how chapter 5 refers to, to those people that died in the wilderness? They were men of military age. And we have warriors amongst the Israelites gearing up for battle. God, what do we need to do? Do we need to sharpen our swords? Do we need to practice some maneuvers? Do we need to, 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 to get our strategy right? That sounds like a good idea. And God said, well, no, actually, what you need to do now is you all need to get circumcised. Isn't that an odd isn't that an odd thing for God to bring before the Israelites? Circumcise? Well, God, I can think of many other important things to do. Actually, that circumcision idea seems like the worst thing that we could do right now because, well, you know. And God said, no, it's time to get circumcised. And we see this truth here. God always wants us to first do what is right. And we measure what is right by what is right for God or with God. That's our measurement for what is right. What does God say is right? That always comes first. And this can be very unnatural because for many, many people, I'm going to use maybe a suspicious um, phrase here for what it seems like many, that the type of obedience that many people show to God. Um, Am I getting ahead? Yeah, I'm getting way ahead. No, I'm not getting way ahead. I'm right where I'm supposed to be in my sermon right now. Um. We have to watch out for this certain kind of obedience that kind of limits what we really will do for God. And it's this watch out for convenience obedience. Many people are obedient, but with the condition, if my obedience to God doesn't make sense with my agenda, then I'm going to choose my agenda over my obedience to God. I think that, I think that happens all the time. It can happen all the time. And, and in this story, the Israelites had to choose. Will I be obedient when I have this big battle in front of me? And it makes no sense for me to get circumcised or for us to get circumcised. All of us, all of us fighting men. But circumcision, see, it was a sign of, of actually something that was going on in, or that should be going on internally. 
It was a sign of having a heart that was circumcised before the Lord, a heart that is soft towards the Lord, that is willing to be exposed and obedient to the Lord. Here's the deal, and we see this in this story. We should want God to be our commander. Sometimes we don't, but we should want God to be our commander. You see, the Israelites probably had all kinds of questions about how they were going to take over that city. I mean, there are only a few ways that you could take over a fortified city with these huge walls in ancient times. You could, uh, you could I mean, you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies. How did... How did Mordor attack, you know, the fortified cities. Well, they use big ladders and, you know, and you could get some big ladders and scale the walls. Uh, you could dig under the walls. Um, you could use a battering ram, perhaps, on the gate of the city. I mean, there's, there's kind of the acceptable ways for taking over a fortified uh, city. Um, and none of those certain in taking over Jericho, right? But God, God gives the Israelites radically different orders in how to take over the city. And, and you heard Phil mention this in his, in his prayer, before his prayer. What, 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 what did God command the Israelites to do? We have to get to chapter 6 to find the commands, but really rather simple commands. You walk around the city once a day for six days. Just walk around the city. And on the seventh day, walk around the city seven times. And after you walk around seven times that day, blow the trumpets, shout out loud. That's the instructions that God gives the Israelites. And you can think about the Israelites saying, what are you talking about, God? Walk around the city, blow the trumpets, shout out loud? What about ladders and battering rams and swords? God is asking the Israelites, listen, 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 just just put me first. Do these simple things that I'm asking you to do, and the walls will come tumbling down, and you won't have to lift up a sword. (laughs) We should want God to be our commander because he knows what will lead to victory. And if we put God first, we can fully expect his good ways to come to us. This brings us to our second point of... Christ is our commander. When Christ is your commander, he gives you compelling promises. You'll get the land. And courageous plans. Uh, There's an unmistakable newness that chapter 5 presents about the Israelites getting into the the new land. Uh, Verse 9, God said, Today I have rolled away the the reproach of Egypt from you. Today. Today is a new day for you, that old life in Egypt, the reproach of the Egyptians, that is gone. It's a new day. And as a sign of that new day, what is one of the details we read about in chapter 5? The Israelites tasted the fruit of the land for the first time. And think about how amazing that would have been. Think about How many of you are over 40? I can't ask that, right? I can't legitimately ask you to tell me if you're over 40. But I know these these guys over here, they're not over 40. Um, 
So think about every day of your life, as far back as you can remember, having nothing to eat but bread and, well, quail. The Israelites sometimes had quail. But that's what they ate every day, not for 16 years, 17 years, 18 years, for 40 years. That is what the Israelites had been eating for every day, bread and maybe some quail. And chapter 5 gives us this detail. Now they are able to enjoy the fruit, the food from the land, milk and honey and fruit. Just this just imagine how refreshing that would have been for these people that had eaten nothing but bread and maybe some quail for 40 years. So God's promise for the Israelites, it's compelling. And God has compelling promises for each person here. You know, the promised land in the Old Testament, you read through the Bible and you realize it's just a sign of something else, a sign of something to come. It's, it was a symbol of a true promised land for us today. Now, some people think of that true promised land as, well, that's heaven. But, but I think, it's, I think it's, in, it's in addition to that. It's something more than that. Uh, the, the true promised land that the historical, literal promised land of Canaan represents today is, is more than heaven. It's living in, in God's blessings beginning today. Look at, uh, look at, at Hebrews Um, This little section from Hebrews. God again set a certain day, calling it today. Today's the day. This he did when a long time ago he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, so don't harden your hearts, in other words, for if Joshua had given them rest, the Israelites rest, Joshua, the same one that's leading the Israelites, through the promised land now, if Joshua had given them rest, real rest, God would not have spoken later about another day because that going through the promised land, it's a sign of something coming, God says. God again said a certain day, calling it today. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, God's promised land, also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. Today, today's the day, right? Make every effort to enter that rest, that true promised land today, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Enter that rest today. Not after you die. It's not heaven, you know, However many years from now for you, it's not that. It's today. Make every effort to enter that rest today. Instead of rebelling against God, pulling everyone down through your rebellion. Isn't that an interesting and sobering thought that our rebellion against God, our sinning against God, that actually pulls others down with us? But to enter that promised land rest that we have available today, living in God's blessings today, God will give you a courageous plan. God will take you to some Jericho-type moment where he tells you, now go and take the city. There's going to be some tall walls in front of you, but go and take the city. And we, we need to do that to enter God's rest, God's true promised land today. 
Now, what did Jericho represent? Let's talk about what that means for us taking the city. Uh, what did Jericho represent? I mean, certainly inhabitants blocking the Israelites' way in the Promised Land, but it's more than that. It represented more than that. Jericho represented wickedness and evil. Um, God instructs the Israelites to not leave anyone alive in Jericho, which is it's a, it's a terrifying thought, right? God says, don't leave any inhabitants of Jericho alive. They left Rahab, the prostitute, and her family alive. We're reading about that from chapters 2 and 3 in, in, in Joshua. But everyone else is, is put to death. Why, God, would you do that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 18 gives the rationale for this. Um, God tells the Israelites, put, put these inhabitants, all of them, to death. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all of the detestable things they do in worshiping their God. So not like, oh, cute, they made some idols. You know, not, not that. They were doing detestable things in their worship, worship of the foreign gods. And God says, put them all to death, or you will sin against the Lord your God. They'll pull you in to their detestable act. So, so Jericho represents just evil and rebellion from the Lord. And when God gives you the walls of Jericho to conquer, I mean, that, that's not just, I mean, we might, we might make anything into the walls of Jericho. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a big test I'm studying for. It's like the walls of Jericho before me. Or, oh, I, you know, I... Got a big presentation at work, the walls of Jericho. I, I, I don't think that's quite it. I think the walls of Jericho and God's, God's courageous plan for us, it's really to fight against evil, to, to fight against um, sin in our hearts, to fight for holiness in our inner lives, to fight um, in order to gain freedom from sin. In, in our life, or maybe in, in the community of faith, fighting for holiness in the community of faith. Or the fight to bring someone into the light of God's grace. Fighting against Satan and the forces of evil. The fight to develop Christ-like qualities in our inner, inner being, in, in our life, and in the lives of our children. I think that's, I think that's kind of the nature of this courageous plan that God gives to us to enter into God's rest is, all right, fight for your holiness and fight against sin and evil. Fight to confront temptation in your life where that you know i got to stand strong and resist. That's That's the courageous plan that God has for us so that we can enter into God's rest. Things like that. God has a Jericho moment coming up for you. Expect it. And that fight is for our inner life with God and holiness and pursuing God's ways and not the ways of sin. And we all face battles. Sometimes we think the biggest battle are, are battles are those external things that happen. You know, 
you're running. We, my family ran into this where, you know, one thing breaks down after another, right? You're like, oh, my gosh, the car broke down again. The appliance breaking down, and you just get sick and tired. of you think, oh, this is the big battle, this external battle to me. Or, I don't know, you guys are going to school pretty soon, right? Some battles in that, you know, you got to get up early. I don't know, you got to. You got some relational battles that you might be facing or teachers that you don't like or tests you got to study for. Uh, and, we, and we tend to think that these external battles are the real battles. I don't think so. I think it's our inner battles that are the real battles, and it's the inner battles that affect our external battles. But if we get our hearts right with God, then, boy, that sets us up really well to face the, the external battles that seem to give us so much stress and worry in our lives. So it's inner battles that we fight in order to enter God's promised land rest. And one of the things that this story shows us is we can face those inner battles, the the walls of Jericho, um, from the perspective of being victors and not victims because the Lord is with us. So that's the third point. When Christ is your commander, he gives you power in the present moment. We can know that we're victors, not victims, as we face these these spiritual battles. When Joshua asks, whose side are you on? And the commander says, no. (laughs) I think Joshua gets the point. I really do. I think he he realizes who he is in front of at this moment. It's the Lord Jesus. And he's able to say, and we're on your side. You're right, Lord. We are on your side. And Joshua is then ready to go. And he sees the commander's sword. And, and he knows the Lord is with him in this battle. That's power in the present moment. And the commander, verse 14, let's look at verse 14 again. The commander says, um, you know, neither but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I mean, that, I think that just would have filled Joshua with courage and confidence when he realized the Lord is now with him and he's going to fight with Joshua and the Israelites. It's God's fight. And I want you to realize that when, when God is your commander, you can know that, that those battles that you are facing it's really God's fight. It's God's battle. It's his battle to fight with you and, and win for you. The Lord wants to give us confidence. And confidence is a great thing, right? And God wants us to be confident. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says that God has not given you a spirit of timidity or cowardice. God, is, God has given us a spirit of confidence and boldness. I think I think we should live into that. Um, many of you may have seen the, the the I think it was on a TED talk um, a few years ago. Harvard professor Amy um, Cuddy, I think that's her name, did a study, a research study on um, on your body posture and how it affects confidence. Have you heard that that, that study? And the more open that you, we are, this Harvard 
research professor, her conclusions. The more open that we are with our body posture, the more confidence that we have. The more closed up that we are, the less confidence that we have. And so she, she suggests uh, that, uh, you know, you got something going on, something that's intimidating, a, 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 a meeting that you're going to go into, and, you know, you're going to be under the, the gun or whatever you're facing. Um, just spend two minutes doing the Superman pose. I'm not kidding. This is what you, you know, the Superman pose where you just have this open body posture. She says that it raises testosterone levels in, in men. Um, it fills us with confidence. Isn't that, that fascinating? That's fascinating. I think that, I think that God wants us to have that kind of confidence, you know. But, you know, the confidence because we know God is with us, right? But, 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 there is something particular about the confidence that God wants us to have, and we see it right here in this thing with Joshua, this conversation with Joshua. So verse 14, Joshua realizes who this is. This is, this is the Lord himself. And then he asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, Joshua is a warrior, and he's ready for orders from the Lord. Who knows what God's going to tell me? Grab my sword, my shield. Let's go to battle. Maybe Joshua's expecting. That's not what the Lord says. The first order that the Lord gives to him is this. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. So, this little conversation is not about this confidence pep talk with Joshua. It's not, all right, Joshua, you get at him and grab that sword, and you're going to kill a lot of Canaanites. It's not that. It's not, hey, put on that Superman pose, Joshua, you're about ready to go to battle. That's not what this conversation's about with the Lord. It's about worshiping the Lord. Begin first with worship. Be right with me and worship. That's God's command to Joshua. So here's a thought as we think about being confident Christians in the world. Your posture in the world always begins with your posture of worship. It should begin with your posture of worship. Going in the world confidently, knowing that the Lord is with you, yes, it's a great thing, but it should begin with this posture of worship before the Lord. Showing confidence in this world means nothing without first having a posture of worship before Christ. That's the message here. Without bowing in reverence to Christ, we are liable to fudge on Christ's commands to us. We don't take him seriously without that worship before the Lord. Um, If there is one thing that this passage teaches, I think it teaches a lot, but if there's one thing... It teaches that we must take Jesus Christ very seriously because he is the commander of the Lord's armies. And and many people think that we're going to kind of finish up with a prayer here, but many people think that Jesus, when they think of Jesus, they might think of Jesus as kind of this pushover fellow, this softy, someone that I can appreciate deeply because I know that he is loving. But I, if I resist him, it's not that big of a deal because many people think he's a softy. And Jesus was the most patient 
peaceful, kind, loving man ever to walk this planet. And yes, Jesus died for our sins so that we could have peace with God. But if there's one thing this passage teaches us, Jesus is no pushover, right? He's the commander of the Lord's army. Coming again one day to, to, to finally put an end to evil and to, to judge wickedness and to reign in this world and to set things right. I want to give you this, this vision that it's from the very end of the scriptures. Revelation chapter 19 that, that John has of the commander of the Lord's army, Christ. So just, just if you've got a Bible, you can open it up or you can read this along with me. But, but hear this and read this, this vision. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and he wages war, and his eyes are like a blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, because he is the commander of the Lord's armies. Dressed in fine linen, white and clean, they're following the commander. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our Jesus Christ, commander of the Lord's armies. And when I think of Joshua chapter 5, and I think about what we read in Revelation 19, here's what I think. I think there is nothing to be afraid of in making our hearts say, I'm on your side, King Jesus. I'm on your side. There's nothing to be afraid of to saying to the Lord, I'm on your side. And it's very quite terrifying thinking of resisting that. It's quite terrifying thinking of saying, no, I want to be on my own side. So let me ask you, do you worship Christ the Lord in your heart? Just questions to think about. Each person must ask, is Christ my commander? Do I worship Christ in my heart? Who do I have confidence in? Is it, is it me? No, it's it's Christ, the commander of the Lord's armies, and he's holding a sword. And that sword is meant for his enemies. And he will fight for all of those who are on his side. Who's your commander? Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, our Commander, our King. You who 
rule the nations. You sovereignly rule over heavens and the earth. And you invite us this day to enter into your promised land rest by saying, we, we are on your side. We, our hearts belong to you. Our lives belong to you. Everything that we have, everything that we are belongs to you. Lord, help us in all of our battles that we face, these spiritual battles of choosing who we serve, choosing to follow your, your way, your word, or to follow uh, the world, the flesh, the devil. Uh, Lord, these are the, the battles we face. We know that, that you're with us when we look to you and we call upon your name and when we, when we trust in you, you're with us and you fight those battles for us. You give us power. You give us peace. In our hearts now, Lord, we lift up some battle that we're facing, some inner battle. And there may be a lot of fear going on in our hearts over that battle. Um, Lord, be, be our rock, be our fortress, be our strength, be our shield, be our sword. Help us to fight that battle. Help us to overcome. Help us to enter into your promised land rest today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.